0: uh, Heavenly Father, we come before you, we have heard your word, we pray that it would bear fruit in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives. Pray that you would be with me, that you would guide me, and that all of us would be lifted up and encouraged and equipped. We pray again for Todd, we pray that you give him peace and rest right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, This is one of those times when parents, uh, you can tell your children about the uh, initial um, uh, illustration I have, and and they'll, they'll, I think, be impressed. Uh, There's a fun little movie that came out, oh, about 10 years ago, called Enchanted by Disney. And... Uh, Those of you with kids might know this movie, but it essentially takes the normal pattern of Disney movies and flips it on its head. Instead of somebody going into the cartoon world and the adventures happening into the cartoon world, a princess and a prince and a chipmunk and a few others come out of the cartoon world into the real world, and one of the people who comes through is Prince Edward. Edward. And Prince Edward is following after Giselle, whom he wants to marry because princes marry princesses, and because he's good looking or something. Uh, and we find out that pretty quickly that he doesn't really have much depth, that he's also incredibly vain. Uh, he's very confident in himself, and he has a habit of taking everything that is said to be somehow a complement of him. And so there's a moment in this movie where this chipmunk who can talk in the cartoon world but can't in the real world is trying to explain to him that the guy sitting across from him is actually trying to kill the princess. And this little chipmunk goes through quite an impressive uh, game uh, display of charades and miming and... Uh, it's telling him pretty clearly, look, the princess that you at least think you're in love with is going to be killed, and this guy's helping doing it. And instead, Prince Edward, who recasts everything to be about him, says things like, Nathaniel is glad to have me near. Or, you fear you'd die? Without me here? And at one point in the movie, I'm handsome, even when I sleep? Uh, And I thought of that, because here you have a man who is missing the point. And in the book of Daniel, we start out with a king who has missed the point on an enormous scale. If you remember in Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. He was terrified of this dream, and he had a dream about this statue: a head of gold, shoulders and arms of silver, legs and thighs of of bronze, lower legs and feet of iron, toes kind of mixed with clay, feet mixed with clay, and a rock cut from a mountain, but not by human hands, dashing it all to pieces, and. Daniel says these are four kingdoms, and the rock is, is the kingdom of God. And you're the head of gold, but after you will come these other kingdoms, and then the kingdom of God. Well, Nebuchadnezzar seems to take a little bit of the same school of thought as Prince Edward, and what do we see? He has a dream of a statue, and he's the head of gold. Well, Nebuchadnezzar apparently didn't like that there would be other kingdoms. And so the whole statue is gold. And either out of convenient uh, amnesia or possibly out of an outright rejection and rebellion against what God has said, He has set up an image, probably of himself, um, as an entire statue of gold with the message that there will be no other kingdoms. My kingdom will go on forever. No more talk of shoulders and arms and torso of silver. And certainly no more talk about God destroying it all. I'm in control. and You're going to worship me. And Nebuchadnezzar, of course, has the audacity to order that when everyone hears this music, that they need to fall down and worship. And if the music seemed a little bit strange... One, it's possible that there were actually something like a bagpipe in the ancient world. I researched that. Um, may not have been quite the same as what we see, but it was uh, probably loud, probably obnoxious. Uh, sorry, bagpipe fans. Uh, and the you put all these instruments together, and what you get is the sound of like a bunch of high school kids trying out their instrument for the first time, and it's a cacophony, uh, and it's just loud and obnoxious and very different from the type of music that you would see in temple worship or anything like that. And when you hear this noise, you are supposed to fall down and worship. One of the temptations of the book of Daniel is to start reading... And to look at everything as kind of a, a series of stories about heroes. And uh, Pastor Todd has talked about moralism. And moralism is you find a moral in, in, in every biblical story. And it's about you need to do this or don't do this. And our temptation can be to turn this into only an account of the heroism of these three men when they stand against uh, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, They, of course, hear this music. And they don't bow down and worship. Now, some have suggested that Daniel was perhaps weak in this moment. Where was Daniel, after all? Is this a time when he faltered? And I would suggest, following others, that all you have to do is go back one verse and you get the answer. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, but Daniel remained at court. Where's the statue? In the plain of Dura. Where's Daniel? At court. So, in all likelihood, Though it's possible Daniel may have faltered, and these are, like us, sinful men, uh, I don't think we need to worry that that's what's happening. Daniel is somewhere else. But these three men are there in the plain of Dura, and they've got a choice. And they could have rationalized. They could have said, as one preacher put it, well, it's just a statue. We're not really worshiping. And... After all, if anything happens to us, then, well, the kingdom of God will be hurt. But they don't. Uh, And they stand firm. And their faith and their answers are fantastic. But, when we look at the main theme of Daniel, it's not really about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, or Daniel. Those four men and others are in exile. And there would have been a real question, and I mentioned this in the last couple sermons who's in control? And is God still with his people? Nebuchadnezzar is pretty clear who he thinks is in control. He thinks he is. In chapter one, he brings the uh, ornaments and utensils from the temple to the temple of his God. Uh, Here, uh, in about the most brazen way possible, uh, he says, I'm in control. But Psalm two says, The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. And of course, we know from the dream Nebuchadnezzar had and from other places that God is in control. And he could have just smashed the statue and Nebuchadnezzar. And there's a sweetness here that God is patient with Nebuchadnezzar and deals with him over the course of several chapters of the Bible. Uh, And we see Nebuchadnezzar time and time again coming to an understanding that that God God is actually in control. At this point, it seems like he still doesn't get it because you keep reading and, well, uh, he's back at it. Um, but God is working with him. And that's an amazing thing that God is patient with Nebuchadnezzar and gives him several chances to acknowledge and understand. Uh, And so is God with us. He's not in a hurry, but waiting. Uh, He's not waiting for the moment when we slip. I think very often... As I said earlier, either because we've been raised with a a wrong view of God and spirituality, that God is just angry with us and we need to do whatever we can to make sure that we stay in God's good grace for that day. Or because subtly we just, we have the heart of, we have a human heart. And the human heart tends to think that if I do something wrong, God is going to get me. Well here we see a wonderful patience with Nebuchadnezzar. And he certainly didn't deserve it. And so we see the grace of God at work. Second Peter three nine, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. In fact, that's what we see going on in the book of Daniel with Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, God could have ended it all in a moment. But God is letting his plan play out. And God is at work. And he is with his people. And he is in control. What about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Again, often were presented that they are heroes of the faith and that the the moral of this story is we should be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Sometimes you add a little Americanism into it, or if you lived earlier, uh, it was about uh, Jewish uh, patriotism against Antiochus Epiphanes, one of the kings who oppressed them. That's been suggested. But for us, a little Americanism means here you have three guys and they are standing against a tyrannical government and they are speaking up in defense of freedom. And that sounds very good, except they're actually doing their jobs really, really well. Uh, And at the end, what are they doing? Working for the tyrannical king, doing their best, to make sure that his uh, his empire prospers. Which isn't to say that it's wrong to, to have an American understanding of freedom, but that's not what this text is about. And while their faith is outstanding and it is to be emulated, that's not the main point of what's going on. What we see with them is first they are accused... And then uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, either because he wants to give him a chance or he just can't believe that anyone wouldn't follow his, uh, his directive and worship. Uh, come on, I'm, a, I'm great. Why wouldn't you worship me? That, that could be what he's thinking. Uh, he gives him another chance. And in verse 16 and 17 and 18, we get this wonderful response. O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. uh, And he will deliver us out of your hand, O King. There's some debate over how certain they are. Uh, depending on how you translate that. Um, Could be that they're saying, and he may deliver you, deliver us. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. What's going on? Here you have three guys who are in exile. If they were living in Israel during the time of David, they could be confident that their reward for such obedience would be blessing. You can read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 28 and other places, that uh, if you obey all the words of this law, blessed will be your coming and going. Blessed will be your your basket and kneading bowl, the fruit of your womb. You'll triumph over your enemies, etc., etc. But now we're in exile. And those promises have been suspended and those conditions have been suspended. And so the righteous in exile are not necessarily rewarded. There is no promise uh, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that they'll survive. And they know God might not. Save them. So it is for us, and I'll talk about that uh, in a little bit, that uh, we who live in the new covenant are not promised that we'll always be kept from the fire. But God is with his people. And here Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand before the king And they say, look, we're willing to serve you, but we will not do this. There is a wonderful passage in Isaiah 53. And uh, when I was thinking about them, about these three men, I was thinking about this passage, and you might remember it. Um, And we sing this, in fact. Uh, sometimes, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. And I'll read the the full text in a moment. But often, it's a good idea to find out what comes right before and right after a passage. And so, I looked at Isaiah 52, and the the last couple of verses set up what the exile is about. Isaiah 42, 24 and 25. Who gave up Jacob to the looter and Israel to the plunderers? Was it not the Lord against whom we have sinned? In whose ways they would not walk and in whose law they would not obey? So he poured on him the heat of his anger and the might of his battle. It set him on fire all around and he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take it to heart. And Here, this is exactly what has happened to Judah. Because of their wickedness, they've gone into Babylon. Who was in control of that? God was. That can be a difficult thing to come to terms with. Uh, And at first, it seems like it's really bad news. What do you mean God is doing this? Then Isaiah 43 continues. But now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob... He who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I, the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. For I am the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I will give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Sheba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight. And because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east. And gather you from the west. Here's a tremendous promise. And maybe it was in the mind of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or maybe uh, maybe no one expected that when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. Would be in any way, anything other than a beautiful metaphor. And yet how wonderful is our God that what seems like it should have been metaphor was fulfilled literally. And God is in control. And God is bringing his kingdom and his purpose uh, to its end. And it is all mapped out. And we don't see that, of course. But we do know the end. Well, what about the miracle? Interpreting miracles in our age is often an interesting thing. Uh, It is fashionable to try to explain away miracles. Uh, And so, uh, one such presentation, uh, apparently it was in a, and maybe it came from somewhere else, but I could track this down to a show, Mysteries of the Bible, that uh, came out in 1994 that suggested what really happened here was Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fire and they landed on some nice cool spots because the fire wasn't under everything. Um, and there's a general approach to miracles like this that's been around since uh, 1700s. There was a guy named Vreda and there were others. And he wanted to disprove the Bible. Um, And there are others who are well-meaning and they want to show that these kinds of things can happen. People can survive being thrown into a fiery furnace. Or they can survive being swallowed by a whale. Or, you know, maybe what happened? Jesus is... uh, standing with the boy and his five loaves. And what really happened was a miracle where all the people looked at the little boy with his little lunch, and they said, you know what, we can share too. Um, and that was the feeding of the 5,000, or apparently one presentation of Jesus walking on water. What was really going on? They were just closer to shore than they thought. Maybe it was a little foggy. Jesus was walking in Four feet of water, four inches of water, sorry. It looked like he was. And somehow the boat was still floating in that much water. And you had a bunch of fishermen who knew the water very well. Who The problem with these is they all tend to break down. Um, Moses leading the people out of Israel on a dry patch and somehow the entire Egyptian army died in an inch of water. Uh, There are all sorts of these things, uh, but the point is not that these things can happen naturally, but that God is at work. And be wary of any explanation that says that the ancient people just didn't understand what was going on. Fishermen understand that if someone's walking in water, It's different than walking on water. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was very, very, very good at making sure his opponents died. If there was anything he was good at, it was that. And uh, at least according to one source, these were likely charcoal furnaces used for baking bricks. The temperature would reach somewhere around 1,600 to 1,800 degrees Fahrenheit or 900 to 1,000 Celsius. Uh, You don't survive being thrown into that. Now, some will want to take issue with, well, Nebuchadnezzar says heat it seven times. Does that mean it was 9,600 degrees or something like that? Seven times is a lot more. And it was overheated enough that the people who threw them in died. And they should have died. The air should have gotten them. The, the heat around them. If they were in a cool spot, it wouldn't last long. Uh, and yet, they survive. And God is with them. And Nebuchadnezzar hears about it in verse uh, in verse 24, and he's amazed. They're in there. They're walking around, uh, relaxed, hanging out, and there are four of them. Now there's debate, was this God himself or was it an angel? Uh, the text doesn't make that very clear. Nebuchadnezzar interprets it to be an an angel, Uh, either way, God is with them, and he saved them. And they come out completely unscathed, and I spend 20 minutes cooking some chicken over a grill, and I smell like a campfire, and I need to change. Uh, They didn't smell like fire. Their hair wasn't singed. Uh, this wasn't that they just barely escaped. This was that they were completely and totally protected. And the message is clear to Nebuchadnezzar, God saying, I am in control and I am with my people. Now notice that this isn't really about some of the things that we would tend to think it might be. When we're going through these things, one of the first things... Other people say to us, or we might say to ourselves, "Is God must be trying to teach me a lesson. If you read the text, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego have their lesson down before they go into the fiery furnace. Their theology is fine. It's for Nebuchadnezzar's benefit, for our benefit. And yes, I'm certain that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were strengthened in their faith, but... This is not to teach them a lesson. And the main point is not we should be bold like them. The main point is God saved them. And secondarily, we can look at their faith. We can look at that and we can seek to live as people who are also in exile uh, in a, a world of increasing or steady or ebbing and flowing wickedness. Uh, where it's becoming harder to be be a Christian and to hold the views of the Bible and to speak those boldly, we can emulate them. But mostly God is with them. Well, what what about us? As I mentioned before, there's a strong thread in American spirituality that Faith means freedom from suffering. That Christians receive blessings of money and comfort. And that if you believe in Jesus enough, then you won't struggle. And you won't get sick. And you won't ever lose your job or have trouble Uh, paying your mortgage or rent or anything like that. And that sounds nice. But it's a subtle lie that is fundamentally different from the actual gospel that the Bible teaches. Uh, Yes, if you were an Israelite living in the Old Covenant, you could plan on things like that. If you were under Joshua and you were obedient, you were going to defeat the people of Jericho. Uh, and you couldn't have their stuff, but you, you could have someone else's. Uh, for us, sometimes we hear it taught out, you know, outright. God wants you to be happy and healthy and wealthy. Sometimes we just, again, have that subtle feeling that, well, if I do the wrong thing, God's going to be angry with me. But if I do the right thing, well, then God's going to give me what I want. What do the scriptures say? In our text, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not spared from the fiery furnace. They are brought through it. In Psalm 23, David is not spared from the valley of the shadow of death. God is with him in the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus says, in Matthew five, eleven and twelve, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and other utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before me, before you. We're actually promised that we're going to suffer, but we're promised that our suffering is purposeful, and we're promised that God will be with us in the furnace and you might feel like you're there now or it may be that you might get there in a few days, a few weeks, a few years. Um, I'd love to tell you that life is wonderful. And when I'm speaking to my students, I always say to them, I hate to tell you this, but it's going to get worse. And, uh, and then it'll get better and it'll get worse and it'll get worse. And then it gets really, really better because our promise is not that God will spare us from the furnace, but that he will bring us through it and that ultimately we will be brought into the kingdom of God. Revelation 3, 21 and 22, to the one who is victorious, that is to the one who believes in Jesus I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The message of the scripture is that God is in control, that he is with his people, and that he is bringing us to the end when his kingdom will be built up and we will be brought in in fullness and all of our sin will be washed away and all our tears will be wiped away and we will sit with Christ in glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may these words penetrate our hearts. Give us boldness. May we be bold like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And may we not falter. We pray that we will not see a time uh, when in America it is illegal or uh, or prohibited to be Christians and yet we see little ways where that's already beginning and i pray that you give us boldness and give your people boldness more importantly jesus we pray that you will as you have promised be with us carry us through the furnace be with my brothers and sisters in whatever's going on in their lives now and whatever will come thank you that our destination is secure